What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Other Hours Podcast, the podcast where we talk about how God doesn't want to just make you good at church. He wants to make you good at life. Today, we are taking the Other Hours International with a very special guest straight out of Belize, my good friend, Pastor Kenny Welch. Welcome to the show, Kenny. Yeah, thank you for having me, Brandon. So it's been this has been a long time coming. Uh, we've been talking for the last couple months about having you on the show, and you're in the United States. So, of course, I had to sit down with you and have have a chat so i'm excited to have you here thank you for joining me i'm really stoked about this honestly kenny yeah so so anyways um i know you really well we spent a lot of time together over the last couple years we spent three months in very close proximity with one another a couple years ago and but not everyone here at living streams or our subscribers really know a ton about you or about your story and so today i would love to just spend some time getting to know you better helping people understand the connection that living streams has with belize and uh kind of the whole backstory there so if you wouldn't mind just kind of sharing a little about yourself um what you do as far as your pastoring in um in belize and uh kind of how you first got got connected with Living Streams, uh, the church. So. All right, so I, uh, I'm from Belize, of course, a small village in Belize, Gales Point, uh, Manatee Village. Um, that was where I met David Stockton a number of years ago, probably 11 or 12. Um, yeah, but that's, so that's where the connection with Living Streams started. That's where me as a serious Christian started. That's where ministry for my life started and, and the ministries that we're actually leading now in Belize. Uh, you know, Gales Point, small village, 300 plus people, you know, very tight-knit. Everybody feels like family. Everybody is considered to be family. But there's also, you know, dark side of, of people not not living the way that God calls us to live, you know, and a lot of that has to do with the culture. Um, people are not willing to walk away from the culture and mm-hmm. to pursue righteousness as they should. And uh, it was really a neat thing when, when David felt called by the Lord to go down to Gales Point, you know, a place where he's even unsure how he's going to survive, you know, to to raise up right. oaks of righteousness mm-hmm. in this place, you know. And uh, that's where, where it all began for me and for many other people in Gales Point who are still, you know, walking the walk, still living the faith. For sure. So you grew up in, in Gales Point, this little tiny village in uh, the middle of Belize, about 300 people. What was that like growing up um, in that cultural context? Well, growing up was always, uh, I wouldn't say easy, but, but it was good, you know. Um, we, we had good upbringing, but for some weird reason, you know, uh, a lot of young people, including myself, for, for some point in time, actually, you know, turned away or started to walk in an opposite direction mm-hmm. as, as to how we were actually taught. Um, church was always a thing for us. It was sort of religious you just you go to church on sunday because that's what people do people right. go to church on sunday you know but there was no real depth to church you know from from my perspective at least it was just something we do and uh you're expected to to live respectful you know respect mm-hmm. the adults the old people you know be mannerly and and all that so but it was always 
like family. Gail's point is, you know, everybody look out for everybody. You know, just like a, a real family, you know, there's times when we love each other, you know, unconditionally, mm-hmm. and there's time when we fight, you know, just right. like, like your siblings at home. You know, so that that was I I was I grew up in Gales Point. I left the village to go to high school, you know, when I was twelve years old, did high school, junior college, still going back and forth, you know, because mm-hmm. it's home. And then right when I started the university of Belize, that was when David came along with his vision to plant some oaks of righteousness in Gales Point. That's awesome, man. So so what was it like? Um, your family situation growing up. I know that I've heard a little bit about your mom and how her influence, um, how strong that was in your life and as far as pointing you towards eventually getting to know Jesus and all that kind of stuff. What was that situation like um, for those of us who don't really know that whole backstory? Well, uh, my mom, she was, like you said, very influential, influential in, in the way I was raised. Um, she pretty much taught me life. I grew up without a dad, but I grew up as the first grandchild in the house that still had the grandparents. So I was kind of like the little brother to all my uncles. I mean, Mm -hmm. so much so to the point where I actually call my grandma mom and I always call my mom by her first name because that is what everybody else in the house did. It was kind of the norm, like, okay, this is Hannah and then mom is, you know, grandma. Uh Um, Yeah, but I mean, it it was good. She she sacrificed a lot, you know, to kind of make sure I got an education, you know, taught me pretty much everything I needed to know as, as I was growing up. Right. And, and she, and your whole family was, they were all followers of Jesus in, in some capacity, right? What, what was your exposure? Like you said that your, your experience in church was primarily just, this is a thing that we do because it's kind of a part of our cultural norm. Um, when did that really begin to change? When did you actually feel like you began to really genuinely encounter the Lord and begin an actual relationship with him? Well, I mean, that changed significantly for me um, when I met David. But even before that, you know, it was because there was Methodist, Anglican, you know, all these these different churches that you could go to. Mm-hmm. And that is just what we did, go to church. Like we, of course, you were intentional about going to church on Sunday, you know. Right. It's part of the culture, but you weren't intentional about, you know, doing church or, or, or being you know, a part of church. I, I actually, growing up, never ever saw myself being deeply involved in church. Right. You know, it was just a Sunday thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure you're still experiencing that now. On the opposite side, you're now a pastor of um, of a church now in, in Belize City, as well as overseeing the church in Gales Point. That, did that ever cross your mind that you might potentially be, I mean, you just said, I don't really imagine seeing myself in a position of leadership. Did, did that ever cross your mind when you were younger? Like, oh, I could, I could actually have influence. Like, this, that, like I said, never, ever. <laughs> Um, it was just something we did on Sunday. Even when David came for the first year, you know, he talked me into getting involved with, you know, the discipleship program, you know, the internship and all of that. And it, I mean, it was cool. We hang out. We learned a lot about Jesus. We learned how to live the right way, you know, as opposed to just living culturally or, or living in sin. Um, 
I was involved after David left and Jude was there for a few months in, in helping him out with, with youth groups and all of that. But I never saw myself being heavily involved, you know. Mm -hmm. I was in school. I was getting a degree in marine science and biology, which is like almost on the opposite side of the spectrum, <laughs> you know. I was, according to everybody else, supposed to be somebody, you know, mm -hmm. the guy who would go, you know, get a good job, you know, have the education and all that. It, it wasn't a part of my plans whatsoever to be involved in church or to even, you know, be involved in ministry, so to speak. Yeah, and then that all changed. David kind of showed up on the scene, kind of took you aside, began to really pour into you, and then what, what was that process after that? So David shows up and begins to build a relationship with you, and then there was a number of years that passed between then and you actually being considered to be kind of in this pastoral position. Is that right? Well, it was really only one year, which was crazy because, you know, as I shared with the guys at, at the camp this weekend, uh... David pulled me and Shannon aside and he showed us this path. You know, he, he drew it out for us how the entire community continues to walk one single path. Mm -hmm. And that's the path that's been passed down from generation to generation. And what the Lord desires is for just a few young people to start to carve out a new path. You know, it's something that would go in a different direction so that other people can see and say, oh, there is more than one option as yeah. to how we can live our lives. I mean, and it was cool. It made a lot of sense, you know, very interesting. But then when David left, you know, Jude was there for a little bit. And then Mike Pfeiffer was supposed to come down. And David said, you're going to like Mike because, you know, Mike is crazy. <laughs> of course, you know, that just a joke. But then when Mike came... You know, and I asked Mike, you know, what do you want me to do to help, you know, just to help out? You know, just, I'm just offering help. Mm -hmm. And he was pretty much like, I don't know yet, but I'll let you know. And then he came back and he said to me, you're going to start preaching on Sundays. <laughs> and then I was like, David was right. This guy is crazy, <laughs> you know, because that is like. I'm, I'm just a young guy. We don't do that. Kids don't preach in church, mm -hmm. you know, like pastors are considered to be old men, you know, culturally. Yep. Nobody's going to listen to me. And, and besides that, I have no intentions of leading a church. So why would I start preaching on Sundays? But uh, weird as it sounded, you know, he asked me to do some stuff. I did it. We met. We studied the word. And before I knew it, I preached a service on Sunday. Awesome. Do you remember what you preached on that first Sunday? Not entirely, but it was the weirdest day of my life. <laughs> I mean, you've been to the church. The church has three doors, uh, you know, one to the east, one to the west, and then one to the south. And uh, that was my focus for the entire message. I was looking through the front door, not at anybody. And there was this lady in the crowd, Miss Vera, she was a missionary. She kept snapping her fingers in the back just to get my attention. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I would draw my face from the door to her, I completely swung the opposite direction to the next door. And I did that the entire message just from door to... I didn't want to see anyone in the building. It was like... I mean, I was so afraid of what was going on. I had no idea what was mm -hmm. going on. It was crazy. What was that like? I mean, this is a... Like you said, this is a small community. We're talking 300 people. Most of them related in some way like you're really addressing family and i mean if you think about it in the word it says like jesus is 
talking about the fact that a prophet's never respected in his own hometown. And I think that if you're in ministry for any length of time, you kind of begin to feel that like it's really hard to be able to minister to family effectively because there's that familiarity. What was that like standing in front of a group of people that you you've known your entire life, they've known you, they know everything about you. And now they're supposed to look at you as a, a source of spiritual authority. What was that experience like for you? Uh, it was it was weird. Um, rightly, as Jesus said, you know, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And I felt that way for as long as I can remember. Uh, it was always, I mean, first, I was considered too young. Mm-hmm. You know, most, well, all the pastors that we have had before were men who were way up in age, you know, 60s or 70s. And here's this 21-year-old kid. Yeah you know, talking to people that are twice or three times my age, you know. So it was just weird, you know, having to figure out how do I how do I address these people? Right. You know, how do I bring the word of God? Yet because to some degree I wanted to function in submission to all the grown adults who were in the church. I mean they watched me grow up. They yeah. knew everything about me, you know. <laughs> there is nothing that I can come and say, no, this is how it should be. And then they go, aha, but that's how it, it wasn't that way with you. You know, I watched you grow up. What are you trying to say? Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, one of the cultural things is that, you know, old people know, know what is best. So, right. sorry for young people to just come up and say, no, that's not how it should be. Because they're old. They have the experience, you know. So, so it was weird. And, and still is to a large degree with some people. But uh, now being, you know, in ministry there for 10 years, it has completely turned around, you know, um, my desire to function as the authority, you know, from the Lord has been clearly um, spelled out to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm functioning differently in that regard. And people are receiving me differently, you know, than they were or, or would be five years ago. Yeah. Um, of course, at the beginning, everybody just thought it was all for the show. Like, it's not going to last. These kids, you know, they're going to grow up and realize that they can't do this. They can't be in ministry. They can't lead mm-hmm. the church. And uh, it is only by the grace of God that we were able to silence those people, you know, by him allowing us constantly to be able to push through all those things, you know, all those obstacles that were there before us. Right. And now, I mean, this has been a long time coming. This is, like you said, it's been 10 years. You know, you're just now in your early 30s and you've already been, there's not a lot of people that can say they've been in ministry for a decade at that age. And, but yet you've been faithful. And I think that that's been the thing that um, has really impressed everyone here at Living Streams looking at what's been happening in, happening in Belize is the fact that you've stayed the course and you've continued to remain an oak of righteousness in that community and having had some firsthand experience, you know what I mean? What David is saying is absolutely true. There is a definite path in Gail's point that says this is how you're going to live your life and it's kind of the expected norm that that's just how things are. And you and a few others, Shannon, have kind of forged a different path and now there are actually young people in Gail's Point some of them that came and were part of an internship this summer here at Living Streams that are starting to take that path less traveled and I mean what does that feel like to you now actually seeing a new generation of young people that are beginning to really pursue righteousness and beginning to follow in the footsteps that you began to um, set forth even a decade ago 
That is, I mean, it brings me great joy to see that most of the young people that we have in the village have a deep desire to walk this new path mm-hmm. that has been carved out for them. For as much as they are seeing the destructive path, they are being drawn to it because, you know, that is all the generation before us knows. Right. They're very interested in this new path. Now, where it's difficult for me and, and more so for my wife is that because I've taken up the pastorate at PLCC in the city, we're not able to be in Gales Point as much as we would like to. Mm-hmm. So the way we live our lives or, or put it on display for people to see is not as much as we would like it to be when it comes to dealing with those youths that we love and care about so right. much. You know, and, and these youths, they're always looking for opportunity to just be around us, to learn from us, you know, to, to mm-hmm. just, just to hear from us. And, and I mean, this summer, my wife decided that we were going to go just like for a month straight, you know, just to be there, just to get involved again, you know, to figure out what is going on with these young people and to try and help them as much as possible. And, you know, she, she did it mainly by herself because I, I, I had to be uh, back and forth to the city where I have obligation. But, but she stuck it out, her and the girls, you know, they spent five weeks in Gales mm-hmm. Point, you know, just, just doing life with, with these kids because they're, I mean, they're yearning for something different. You know, mm-hmm. they want something different. And and when they recognize what that is, they they just gravitate to it. Yeah, you know, I always ask the question. I have a a mentor that I connect with uh, on a regular basis. He lives in Minnesota, and he he asked me the question first, like you know, why do you think it is that all these youths, you know, and people who seem to have a desire to follow Christ just gravitate to you and your family. And of course, I have no idea. And it's a question that I've been asking myself lately, you know, what is it about me? What is it about my little family that makes people just gravitate to us? You know, I mean, we're nothing special, you know, but even the kids, like when we, when we show up to the village specifically, you know, like all the kids that are Anaya's age, they're always at the house. We, I mean, eight o'clock in the morning, we're not even out of bed mm-hmm. yet. And there's like 10 kids waiting outside. And I'm like, what is this? Like, Anaya is no better than the other kids in the village. So why, why is everybody, you know? And then of course the youths, they completely took over the house for the yep. five weeks. So it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, living with 20 teenagers, it's, you know, people sleeping all over the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was crazy, but it was good, you know, because we're doing life with these kids, doing, you know, doing life with these youths. And, and they always have questions and, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, how do they walk this new path that right. has been carved out before them. And it's it's just a beautiful thing. It brings me great joy to, to know that it is actually a path that was designed by God. Yeah. And he's using it, you know, to bring all these kids to him. I love that. Yeah, let's let's talk about the difference between those two paths. So just to kind of, in more explicit terms, um, for people listening and watching, um, what was it like when you were 16, 17 years old in Gales Point trying to navigate this new path, and how is that different from what it is to be a 16, 17-year-old now in Gales Point a decade later? Um, could you just kind of illustrate just the difference in kind of the gravitational pull, as it were? 
Yeah, so, I mean, as anywhere else, there's always a path that has been taken for years. And for us there, it would be young men, you know, alcohol, marijuana, you know, more than one woman. You know, that's, that's, that's the norm. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's what's expected. You know, if you're not with the in crowd, then something is wrong with you. If you're 16 years old and, and you haven't proven that you have a girlfriend, then something is definitely wrong with you. You know, there's no 16-year-old who's not going to have a girlfriend. Uh, you know, you're not hanging out with everybody else. You're not doing the same thing. You're not using the same words they're using. Then, then something is wrong. And because for a while there was no other option than to do those things that is what everybody would follow right you know only the weird kids who would not leave their house only stay home and be you know all to themselves would would not be following that so for us to start saying that hey look there is a new path there is a you don't have to smoke weed to be a man you don't have to be drunk all the time to be a man you don't have to be with more than one female to be a man mm-hmm. you know this is what god designed and of course we could say that all day long but until someone starts to live it yeah. then it it, it has no weight on people you know so to be married at a young age was laughable, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had a guy come up to me and be like, I give you one year. It's like one year. He's like, one year and your marriage will be done. Because, you know, it's not expected that any young guy culturally would stick to one woman. Right. You know? So that in itself, you know, being married, staying married, staying faithful to one woman is a new thing. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, even before, like, you know, three or four generations ahead, people would be married, but then it wouldn't be a faithful marriage. You right. know? So for them to see that being played out the way God desired to be played out was new. You know, for them to see, you know, young men and women not indulging in, in the party and the drinks and the marijuana, you know, and the crazy living is new for them. You know, but still there is that... Uh, pull from culture and society that that is being placed on the youth, you know, that that uh, peer pressure of, hey, you need to get with this. I mean, you're 16 and your parents don't allow you to go to wild parties, you know, what's wrong? <laughs> so there's always, you know, how do I be friends with these people who desperately wants to pull me to destruction and, and still walk this path that I know is right for me? And, mm-hmm. and that is still the struggle for the youths, but I mean, the good thing is they can now see clearly the difference in the two paths, and now they yeah. have to make a choice. Whereas before, in my time, we knew that there was something different, mm-hmm. but nobody was living it out. Right. So it was not seen. You know, we only knew that you could live different, but we have, we, we weren't seeing anybody, you know, in our age or just right in the generation before us that was on the ground living out this life. But now the youths have that. Yeah. And it's not just the young people that are kind of experiencing the transformation. I mean, I remember you telling me that 10 years ago, half the village or more than that were you know, like these people that have been in long-term relationships, you know, these um, couples that are living together, have a whole bunch of kids, but they never got around to getting married. And that was just not part of the the cultural norm and Gail's point. And you've actually conducted a number of marriages for 
couples that have been together together for 20 years or something like that is isn't that right well i didn't conduct it but they they did it legally you mm -hmm. know um there is what one two three four maybe even five couples who have been together for longer than i am alive you know they have kids way older than i am and were, they were never married but i mean they got married i guess say between a span of five years you know mm -hmm. so it's something's happening you know something's changing uh, people are seeing the need to to live right before god and man and some of them are taking that opportunity to make it right, and then others are just waiting it out. I mean, I don't know what they're waiting for, but they're yeah. just waiting it out. I know. I remember talking about that a couple of years ago, and that was such a foreign concept, I think, for for someone uh, coming in from an outside perspective, and because that's just not part of our cultural expression, really, in the United States. And so it's it's definitely different. I mean. 10 years down the road, Gail's point's a very, very different place. And I love how you're kind of expressing the difference in those two different paths. And it's incredibly encouraging for me too, just to be able to see there are these young people that have been invested in, truly invested in for the majority of their lives now and are really beginning to take steps to walk in righteousness. What is your hope for the next decade? Um, if you look at where Gail's point was 10 years ago, where it is today, where do you hope that it will be 10 years in the future? Well, definitely in a better place. Um, I'm hoping that with most of these youths that we have now, if they take the new path and just don't just walk it, but take it very seriously mm -hmm. to the point where they now get involved in investing in the lives of the younger kids who are coming up, then we are going to be a completely different village in the next decade, mm -hmm. you know, because then it's not going to be just two or three families living out this new path, but it's going to be a bunch of people. You're going to have 10%, 20% of the village living out this new path, but not just living it out, encouraging the younger kids to live it out. Right. And, and we're going to have a greater impact. You know, we're going to bring back the true feel of, of mm -hmm. community where, where we, we dwell together in harmony and, and we live together in love. And, and that is going to change the village drastically. That's so if, good. if we continue down that path for the next decade. Right. And I've oftentimes heard that it doesn't, it doesn't take an overwhelming majority in order to change culture. It just takes that 10, 20, 30% that are genuinely pursuing something that that can transform an entire culture. And that's what we're seeing. You know, you've got a handful of people in the village who are living righteously, who are beginning to really forge that new way of living. And now they're our people are getting kind of pulled in that direction for the first time maybe ever. And I mean, I'm sure that's encouraging for you, but now you got a little bit of a different situation going on. I remember a couple of years ago when I was down in Gail's Point with you, that was shortly after you were asked to come and pastor a church in Belize City a few hours away. What has that been like for the past few years, living in the city, being separated from friends and family in Gail's Point, but also trying to maintain connection, trying to continue to pastor that church in Gail's Point while living in a different city? How has that has that worked out for you? Well, it's it's working out okay. Um, stressful sometimes, but it's it's working out okay. I mean, my hope and my desire is that one of the young men in the village would be raised up and eventually start leading the church. Right. You know, I mean, it would be good if I can show up once a month or so to assist. Um, but to just have someone who we can say here take 
this church and run with it. Take mm-hmm. these people and shepherd them well. You know, um, that's that's my hope. You know, so we're just pouring out into people now, and we're going to see, you know, what the Lord does. I I have my the bulk of my commitment is in the city. You know, and I don't think it's right for me to shortchange the people in the city just because I want to be connected to the people in Gales Point. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the connection has already been established. I am family to the people in Gales Point. That's never going to go away. Right. You know, but at the same time, there needs to be someone else who will be involved every day in the people's lives. And right now, I cannot be involved every day. I mean, I can show up on the weekend, but. I think when we get someone or raise someone up that is going to be involved every day with the people, it's going to spark a whole new change, you know, mm-hmm. in the village. Right. And I mean, over the last few years, the Lord has just sort of taken your influence and just expanded it exponentially, you know, from having a place of prominence in a village of 300 people now living in Belize City, where a third of the population of Belize lives. Um you have so many more opportunities to minister to completely different people than you did before. How's that been different for you? How, how is, um, have you had to kind of adapt or change the way that you do ministry now that you're ministering to um, people in Belize City rather than in Gales Point? Um, I think the culture kind of, you know, goes across into the city. We, we pretty much face some of the same things. Um, but I haven't really been able to do as much as I thought I would be able to do um, due to minor circumstances. So like one of the philosophy that I hold to is that I desire to have at least somewhat of a clean house before I bring people in. You know, it's, it's a good thing to think about. Um, so what I've been trying to do over the past two years in the city is what I consider to be a little bit of house cleaning just within the little church, PLCC. Mm-hmm. And then starting next year or maybe just late this year, we're going to be very heavy on evangelism in the neighborhood that the church is in. Right. You know, because I firmly believe that we would be able to do more with 20 or 30 people who are rooted in Jesus than we would with 100 people who are just here or there. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I want the people that we have now to be deeply rooted so that when we go out, when we bring people in, it's going to have a big effect on them. Because you know mm-hmm. how it is, more is caught than taught. Yeah. We can go out and we can tell people all they need to know. But when they come in and they see how we live, then, you know, they'll be able to tell whether we are genuine or not, you know. And I want the whatever is going to be caught by them to be impactful. Absolutely. What What kind of differences are you experiencing in terms of just some of the struggles living in the city? Um, what's kind of the gravity that's kind of pulling people um, in. I know that we, we've, when I was there, we talked a lot about some of the gang violence, some of the difficulties you've had in um, in the particular neighborhood in Port Loyola where you're located. Um, if you wouldn't mind just kind of sharing a little bit more about what Belize City's like, um, what it's like being a Christian, uh, leading a ministry in that particular city. I mean, it's, it's tough all around, but at the same time, you know, God is in control of all this, and uh, I have a deep desire to see change happen, you know, in the men. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's going to come when when unity is seen among the men uh, which is why we started this little group called the lions den <laughs> we meet every other saturday morning right at plcc you know early enough so that guys who has to go to work at eight o'clock can get to go to work and and through that we're targeting you know just having other pastors from other churches join us we engage in discussion we do life together so that you know some sort of unity can de- be developed and mm-hmm. can be seen among the churches because um, that's one of the big things in in the country on a whole you know like the assemblies of God don't like the Methodists or, you know, the Pentecostal church don't like the Calvary Chapel or whatever it is because everybody feel like we're doing it right, you right. know, and those people are a little bit off the edge. And, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do together, you know, despite the theological differences we have. And I think when people really begins to see unity among the church, then it's, it's going to be a blessing for them because personally... I don't care which church someone goes to as long as they're in fellowship and they're loving Jesus. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say come over here because we have it right or we're a better mm-hmm. church than them. You know, but if they're in fellowship, whether they're at PLCC or the church down the road, and if they're loving Jesus, it's a win for the kingdom. Totally. Yeah. How, how did you end up getting connected um, with Port Loyola Cal- Calvary Chapel, I think I'm saying that right, uh, PLCC. Uh, what was kind of the backstory there? I don't know if I ever really caught the entire context surrounding that. So I uh, I met Joel, who was the founding pastor. He planted the church and run it for about 13 years. Um, I met him years ago through a missionary friend of mine, uh, John Bjorgen. He was serving with me in Gales Point for three years. You know, he would occasionally be up in the city spending weekends and stuff. And he met a new Joel, so he introduced us. And uh, we kind of, you know, kept in contact, mm-hmm. you know, not, not really regularly, but we would run into each other every so often. Uh, he invited me to a pastor's conference in Guatemala, I took the opportunity to go down there with him and we, you know, drew closer and just kept in touch and kept connected. Um, My wife and I, we were sensing for some time that, you know, one day God would move us to the city. We had no idea what that would look like. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know if we would be out of ministry and, and working, you know, a regular eight to five job or what it would be. And then I, because Joel and I were now in contact, I knew that he was getting ready to leave. He had some guys at the church. He had already put things into place, you know, how, mm-hmm. how it would all work out when he left, when he would leave. And then um, for some weird reason, some of the things that he had in place kept falling apart. And because he knew my wife and I were, you know, expecting to move to the city sometime, he just you know, toss out the idea of, you know, what about coming in and taking over? You know, of course, it was a process that took a lot of prayer and, and consulting and yeah, stuff. Right. And we just felt that it was the right move to, to come in and help to lead this church. I mean, because it's a, it's a great church with, with great people, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And now it's it's been, has it been three years yet or? Two years. Two years. And how have you seen the Lord um, move in the past two years in PLCC? I have started or gathered a relationship with 
older people that I've never really had before. I mean, in Gail's point, uh, most of the relationship with people were like middle-aged people. But mm-hmm. here at PLCC, there are some older ladies. I mean, fun people to yeah. be around. It's, it's kind of like my Wednesday night Bible study group, you know, and it's just developing that relationship to where you can joke with them as if you guys are the same age, mm-hmm. you know. And um, through that and, and just through other individuals who are who are in the church, you know, some people are really growing in the Lord. They're being rooted in the Lord and we're just hoping that that would spread that it would take off right yeah so I mean you've obviously got a dream for Gail's Point to really begin to experience genuine revival genuine cultural transformation what about Belize City what what are you feeling like the Lord's calling you to and what do you feel like the Lord's dream is for um, Belize City as a whole well for the city, I think it's more of a slow and steady process because it's a, I mean, it's a big city, 80,000 people. I mean, yeah. big by our standard because right. you guys have 5 million people or something. <laughs> and uh, there is actually about 80 to 90 evangelical churches in Belize City, wow. you know, that's in addition to Catholic and Methodist and Anglican and whatever else they are. So there is no lack of churches in Belize City for mm-hmm. people to go to. There is just, I believe, a lack of unity among the churches and and for the churches to just come together and, and put the kingdom of God as the most important thing, you know, and, and ministering to people. So I think for me personally, like for PLCC personally, we're just supposed to be the the slow and steady light. Mm. You know, I, I don't think we are called to be the big bang, to be, you know, the church that is going to be on the forefront, you know, big flash and carrying the whole weight. But but with us just being, you know, that steady and constant light for people to see and look at, it's going to create a lot of changes just in the neighborhood. Right. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up that idea of being just a slow and a steady light. I think that that's just, it kind of encapsulates, I think what a lot of people think about you as a person and you as a family, you and Yuna and um, now your two daughters. But uh, we do call this podcast the other hours because we're not just talking about church and we've talked a lot about church for the last few minutes here. But uh, really that's, the reason why I think that you've been so effective is because you carry out that faithfulness in every area of your life. In Gail's point, you're not just looked at as the pastor, but you're a leader in that community. You're over, you know, like you're providing for people's practical needs as well. And I think that's really where you've gained a lot of respect. And I think that's why people listen to you as a spiritual authority because you've demonstrated you care about them in other ways too. Um, what's kind of been I mean, as you look back over, obviously you're only in your early 30s, so you can't really like look over this entire <laughs> life story, right? But as you look back over your life, what kind of lessons has the Lord taught you in order for you to be faithful in those other hours that you're not um, looked at as Pastor Kenny up on stage, but just Kenny Welch in the village or Kenny in the city? How have you been able to cultivate faithfulness in your own walk with the Lord, in your family, in your work, in the other um, hours that you spend outside of Sunday morning? Well, I mean, it's just that people are important, you know, and for a lot of time, many people are treated like they're not 
and and they don't know how to deal with that. So in Gail's point specifically, I mean, people don't expect the pastor to do X, Y, Z. You know, like you're not expected to be running around with kids playing basketball. You're not expected. I mean, the idea of what a pastor should be has been somewhat misunderstood. Like you give up all fun. There's there's no fun in your life. You're devoted to the word and you're devoted to, you know, to God and just, just do your job, which is preaching to the people. So just keeping those relationship, developing relationship and showing people that they are important, you know, not just to come to church, but even outside of church, you know, because church is more than just, you know, being there on Sunday, it's doing life with people. And I believe that, you know, when I started, really started to do life with people, that is when great change started Mm -hmm. to happen. You know, when people really know that you care, you know, in Gail's point. And it is something that I'm lacking in Belize City right now, you know, just with the city being so hectic and all. But, you know, it's something that I've constantly been trying to put my mind to, you know, how do I get involved in people's lives? How do I show people that, you know, um, the relationship that we should have goes beyond just showing up on church on Sunday and say, hi, how are you doing? And then leave and we don't see each other again. Right. Yeah, it's so important. I think something I really value about you and about your opinion is you're kind of you're able to look at the the church in America with a little bit of a fresh perspective because you're not in it. And so I would love to ask you just as as somebody who's not a part of the American church in the traditional sense, you're not physically present in the United States on a, on a regular basis, but you've spent a lot of time in the U.S. over the last few years. What areas or like blind spots do you see in the, in the American church, and what do you feel like the Lord may be speaking to the church in America that we might become stronger? I think you guys have a lot of people, but you don't have a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of people that comes to church, but nobody's really getting involved with what is going on at church. You know, so from what I can see, I think if everybody was involved in some way, shape, or form, just just be a part of some ministry that is going on. I mean, specifically here at Living Streams, there's a lot that you guys do, but at the same time, it's the same people doing a lot. Mm. You know, and, and if you guys have a thousand or twelve hundred people, there's no reason why you or, or someone else have to do five things. Right. You know, when when another male can get involved and, and be a part of two things, you know, in, in service to the Lord. So, I mean, in Belize, we don't have a lot of people, even if we have a lot going on, specifically males. You know, there's yeah. a lot of women and they're always doing everything. But uh, I, I mean, here you guys have a lot of people. But when it comes to, to service and to serving, it doesn't look like you have a lot of people. You keep seeing the same faces over and over again involved right. in everything. So in, in your own perspective, how should the church address that? How, how can we encourage people to get involved in service, get involved in activities that, I mean, I love that you said that you need to make people feel important and need to pe- make people feel like they're worth investing in. How can we encourage our own people in the church to actually invest in relationships in the world that they live in? Well, I mean, people just need to, to get beyond themselves, you know. For the most part, it's like, like everything here is, is close-knit. I mean, unless you 
know somebody for a long time that would be the only way you'd hang out with them during the week or so because i'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that you've met here at living streams but it's only on sunday or you probably run into them at a coffee shop or something there is no real doing life mm -hmm. you know i just went over to terrell's house uh, the other night with group of guys that he has as his small groups and i don't know where they're all from they don't all come to live in streams but it literally felt like a different family hmm. like, i don't even remember the name of the guys but we were talking for hours and we had fun and we laughed together and you know mm -hmm. and it's like like we've known them for a long time but as i said i can't even remember their names right now and i feel like when when church moved from just being oh hi people we know to people that we really care about and people that are family to us, then that's going to have an impact because it's easier for you to get someone that know and trust you to come and participate than for you to get someone who just shows up on Sunday to come and yeah. participate. That's so true. That's really awesome. I appreciate the perspective and the insight that you bring. Um, like I said, kind of being able to look at the American church from a little bit of a different perspective. I know that we can sometimes get a little bit of uh, you know, we're caught in our own little feedback loop and we're not really understanding exactly what's happening, but you're able to kind of look from a little bit of a distance and see, hey, here's some issues that you may be experiencing and here's the solution. I love that that solution is family. You know what I mean? Obviously, you grew up in a, a very different situation than most of us here in America did. I don't think there's very many places in America where you can only surround yourself with 300 <laughs> people for your entire growing up life. But that changes you, I'm sure. You know, yeah. like you develop a, a, a value for family and a value for community that in a city of, you know, four million or whatever Phoenix is now, that's really, really hard to achieve. And yet the church can be that vehicle for bringing people together in genuine community where life transformation can happen. And I think that you hit the nail right on the head. I think that that's exactly where we lack, but also there's hope because um, the church is a family, whether we yeah. realize it or not. And so now we just need to figure out how to invest in, in that family more fully. And you guys are doing some, a lot of things to invest in that. I mean, when you guys had that, what were they called, fam night, mm -hmm. you know, people yeah. just come out, get to know each other, interact, you know, th those were all things that were in line with moving in the right direction towards getting people to feel like they are more than just someone who come to church on Sunday. You are important. We are all important. You know, let's get together more often, mm -hmm. you know, and, and with the shirts you guys had, you know, <laughs> it's, it's more than just a Sunday thing or it's not just a Sunday thing, right. whatever it yeah. was, you know, it, it speaks volume into what church is supposed to be, you know, cause I felt, I feel like for a while church has been slipping into this mode of just a Sunday thing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and people need to realize that it is not just that, you know, yeah. church is more than just showing up to the building. It's doing life with people. That's so good, Kenny. Well, we definitely have a lot that we can learn from you and from all of our brothers and sisters in Belize. And we're just so honored to have you here. Um, from what I heard, you did an amazing job speaking at Men's Retreat this last weekend, and I'm just so grateful that we got this opportunity to sit down and really begin to just sort of unpack your story a little bit and dive into some of those other um, issues relating to the other hours of life that you've lived in Belize, as well as what you've experienced here in the United States. And so I really appreciate you being here, and uh, I'm excited for future conversations with you and with uh, the rest of our family in Belize. So. 
Thank you so much for uh, tuning in to the Other Hours podcast. If you have not yet subscribed to the Living Streams channel, I'd encourage you to do that. Stay tuned for future upcoming content specifically designed for you. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd encourage you also to comment. We'd love to hear your feedback as well as questions that you might have that we can answer in future, future upcoming podcasts. So thank you. Have a good one.